seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this new crazy mother. This is Eat and Drink with Ali Hassan and Marco Timpano. The podcast where back of house Ali and front of house Marco talk food and drink. Heads up. These two spent decades in restaurants, so some mature content and language is bound to come up. Get ready for Eat and Drink. Forks up. Okay, this is it. This is it. Here we are. Episode one. Episode one. We are the first people on earth to talk about food and drink. Without a doubt. Without a, it, does, it does feel like that, though. It feels very special. I mean, you know, our website, our uh, our social media, it's... Can't believe it's there. It's Can't believe it's available. No. I'm Marco Timpano. Oh yeah, how about that? I'm Ali Hassan. And you're listening. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It's called Eat and Drink. Yeah. We Nobody have, has eaten drink. We have eaten drink. I couldn't believe it. And we are qualified to talk to you about eating and drinking. Hey, just from physically, if you saw us, you'd be like, oh yeah, I yeah, trust that person. Yeah, yeah. They, they eat, they yeah, drink. They eat, they drink. <laughs> but also, you know, Marco, you. You described yourself, uh, uh, you know, to me and to others as a front of house guy your yeah. whole life. Really, like, drink focused. I was more of a back of house. Sometimes they let me out to speak sure. to people. And sometimes uh, I went in the back. We should mention that front of house in restaurant terms means you are in the front of the house. In other words, you're not cooking, but you're doing everything else. You're serving, you're making drinks, you're right. seating people. Uh, you know, anything that happens in the front of house, that's what you're doing. Sure. And back of house encompasses. Anyone Cocaine who's... and degeneracy. Well, that happens in the front house, <laughs> yeah, too. But <laughs> primarily yes. uh, cooking, cleaning, washing, uh, prepping, anything that happens for your food to get on a plate and brought to you happens in the back of house. Is that safe to say? I think that is very safe yeah. to say. I think my hands ache to this day because of exactly what you just described yeah. in the back of the house. My head spins to this day yeah. what you described. Uh, we. I will also want to mention this, that this is going to be the show where we explain who we are. And every subsequent show is actually going to be have content. And the you're subsequent hear. shows are going to have some real, some meat and some juice, yeah. so to speak. And uh, not even, uh, you know, literally, you're going to spend uh, a, like maybe even a third of the show making a drink, yeah. making an exciting cocktail of some kind. Of and uh, and I'm going to uh, sit across from you in awe while mm-hmm. you do that. And then uh, and then I'm going to take a third of the show, and I'm going yeah. to uh, I'm going to, well, I'm going to feed you. Something, yes. and then you're going to describe that it in you, a way that you are very good at describing. That you've prepared with your own blessed hands. Blessed hands. And then we'll talk about what we do in the last third of the show later on. Yeah, it's sure. It's kind of more of the surprise element. Yeah, it's a surprise yeah. element, and it's exciting. It's great. But I want to start, and when I say I, we want to start by getting to know each other for our listeners. Does yeah. that make sense? It of course it does. Of course First of all, I want to say, I say Ali. Well. Oh. But how do you pronounce your first name? Because I feel like a bit of a degenerate because I'm like, I pronounce it one way. And a friend of mine was like, that's not how I say his name. Yeah. So I'm like starting off already like a degenerate saying okay. I, I pronounce my co-host's name incorrectly. It's actually pronounced Uli. Oh, is it really? No. What? Come on, dude. What's wrong with you? I'll try to do that. That sounds German. Pretty good delivery on my end, though, wasn't it? But you're serious face. I know. Uh, I act. I also act. I just, people should know that. Anyway, uh, here's the thing. At home, at home, my parents call me Ali. The A often, uh, in in, in Pakistani names, Indian names, it's not the ah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's Ali Awesome. You know, you might have that um, atif, like it's not atif, it's okay. not asif, it's asif. So it's Ali. It's like a soft Ali. A. 
But when I left the house, unless people were Pakistani, they would never say Ali. It right. wasn't Muhammad Ali. Right. It was Muhammad Ali. Unless my mother was talking and she was saying, you know, Muhammad Ali is very good. I'm like, that is not <laughs> how anybody pronounces this guy's name, including his own family. Sure. Uh, so there's always been two, minimum. But then, you know, you leave the house and some people are like, like, what leg do I have to stand on to say, like, hey, it's not Ali, it's Ali. Ali. When at home, it's Actually, it's Ali, right? Like right. this is this was always the great debate in our house because my mother would be like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm going to go play hockey at Farhan's house." She goes, "What the hell is a Farhan? It's yeah. Farhan." I'm like, right. "Well, hey, he's not told anybody that I know that his name is Farhan." Right. He says, "I'm Farhan." That's how he's. Well, who am I to be like, "Hey, buddy, just going to correct you on your own name." Fair. So, uh, you know, long story short, you can call me whatever Fair you like as, as long as it's A-L. I, I did that one. I used to be a radio DJ uh, at, at a, on, a, on campus, okay. Champlain College on the South Shore. I did the same ago. thing. Did you do that? Uh, CHRY 105.5 hilarious. FM at University. That's great. Yeah. So I did this at Champlain, the Sham, Sham Radio. It's my audition. I go, hey, guys, my name is uh, Ali, uh, or, or you can pronounce it Ali. Or Anyway, you can call me whatever you like. And some guy, I hear him through the glass go, how about asshole? Okay, never say, say. call me whatever you mm-hmm. like. Never say that. So I don't say that. See, I said for, me, I call for me, it's got to be Marco, or if you're going to use the Italian, Marco is fine. Is but, it Marco? I thought it was Mario. No, no, no. There's a C. That C sometimes, <laughs> if you don't write it right, looks like an I. But I don't. Li- what I don't like, you can call me Mario, but just don't call me Mark or Marcus. Not that I have a problem with those names, but that's not my name. Right. That's a different name entirely. But the funny thing is, I'll meet somebody, and then um, I'll meet them months later, and they'll call me Dominic is always number one. They'll be like, Dominic. You look like a Dominic. This is weird. You think I, I don't look like a you Dominic. You don't think so? No. No. Oh, definitely. Or Carmine. Those are the two. You're a one thousand <laughs> percent Carmine. So you are such a Carmine. This is weird. For, I'm not even joking. Okay. If, if somebody said, like, so, you know, some names match people, names don't match. Sometimes right, you yeah. have a name and it doesn't match you. You're like, that does not look sure. like an Alyssa at all. Right. You are so Carmine. I retract my Dominic because okay. you're only like five percent Dominic, <laughs> okay. but you are a thousand percent Carmine. <laughs> it is going to be so difficult not to call you. Carmine. Well, you call me what you need to okay. call me. Uh, I should mention that's a great segue into the fact that my background's Italian, so a lot of my perspective is going to have an Italian slant to it, in particular yeah. with cuisine. Yeah. Um, that's not to say I can't speak on other ethnic cuisines or sort of national cuisines of Canada or North America. Yeah. But I'm going to bring my Italian bias to this podcast. You have to. I'm going to. We have to. Yeah. We need you to. And and are you going to bring a bias or are you... No. Just, no, no. I'm not like you. I'm not prejudicial <laughs> against other cultures. I'm actually going... So my background, <laughs> my background is, uh, is you know, Pakistani. My parents come from... We're, we're both born in India. So very. it's a South Asian mm-hmm. perspective. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure. But... For many years, I ran from my South Asian-ness. You know, I, I talk about this on stage where, like, when, when my parents were cooking, I was like, oh, God, what a nightmare. And then I'd go downstairs and I'd be like, oh, my God, the closet's open. The closet's open. Oh, my God. And then I smell my jean jacket and it reeks. And then my friends are coming to pick me up and I'm just outside on my lawn just nice. waving my jean jacket in the air, hoping I can dissipate some of the smell. Um 
Because when your buddies show up, you just don't want to hear, oh, you reek of yeah. curry, bro. There's no sort of like, well, actually, uh, guys, uh, you know, curry, it contains turmeric, which has been known to, uh, uh, you know, slow rates of Alzheimer's. What are you going to say to a bunch of 16-year-old idiots in Brossard, yeah. Quebec? There's nothing. I remember being embarrassed in, at, in the lunchroom because I had a prosciutto sandwich or a speck sandwich or yeah. tongue in my sandwich you know and people were like and this was before these meats were like you know you go and you have a charcuterie board oh that's no, no, prosciutto no, no. that's spaghetti capicola. and meatballs fine yeah, but, not, but nothing yeah. and i had these weird ingredients right yeah. um, and there was there were other italians in my grade school and then i moved to woodbridge and which is for our listeners a heavily Italian populated area. There's probably more Italians in Woodbridge than some cities in Italy. Yeah. So if the wind blows a certain way in the city of Toronto, you can smell the prosciutto that is being made in the garages in Woodbridge. Without a doubt. And yeah. if I had had a luncheon meat in my sandwich that wasn't Italian, that's where I would have gone. Oh, how like fine. If, let's say I had spam peanut in my butter. If I had spam yeah. or peanut butter, people would look at me like, "What's wrong with this guy?" Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, so yeah, it was yeah. interesting how that flipped. Sure, sure, sure. All so. of a sudden, you're not proud of who you are anymore. Yeah. At that point, it was like, okay, I'm just going to go for it. Yeah. So I, I ran from my culture to the point where when I started teaching cooking classes, it was never Indian Pakistani food. Oh, I didn't know that. No, it wasn't. I was teaching Mediterranean. It was always Mediterranean because Mediterranean, I'm a guy who gets bored so easily. Sure. Much less so now. But back then, it was like right. uh, horrible. Like Don't I couldn't stay focused in. on anything. Yeah. So I was like, hey, oh, I'll do Mediterranean because Mediterranean, now you have like region of France. You have southern France, you know, Spain. Sure. Uh, you could Mediterranean. You could even like shoehorn in, you know, Lebanese, sure. uh, Greece, Italy, Greece, Malta, sure, yeah, yeah, right? all those places. So, uh, did I have an expertise in cooking any of those things? Absolutely not. But but there I was learning it, creating at home, being sort of like a you know treating my home like a lab. And uh, and obviously, uh, you know, you are a lab all the time if you eat as much as I do out and you go right. and you try to recreate. And I was like consumed by early, early Food Network. I really feel like I was one of the first hundred people watching the Food Network. And I had subscriptions to three different food Amazing. magazines. You know, Which ones? Uh, food and Wine. Yes. Gourmet. Yes. The now defunct. Uh, uh, no, is Gourmet defunct? I, it I, is. I, yeah. I and uh, Bon Appetit. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, talking about our cultures, I just want to make a statement off the top here that we're going to be talking about other cultural cuisines, and we're going to do our best to be respectful or use terms that are appropriate. But if we don't, that's just the way it goes, man. Like I hate this. I hate this the cultural day, yeah. appropriation when it comes to food. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard this sort of concept where it's like, well, if you cook, uh, you know, different ethnicities' food, are you cultural culturally appropriating it? And I say. Fuck no, man. Food is food. Also, we're going to swear on the Yeah, we're also. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to say this off the top. I love food. I love different ethnic cuisines. I love different flavors. Do not pigeonhole me to one flavor. Yeah. And do not tell me what I can and cannot cook because of my ethnic make sure background. That's how I, that's where I said, yeah. and, and respect goes to these cultures and you can't, don't mask, you know, uh, let's say Japanese food and call it, oh no, this is uh, North American food. I totally respect that. Yeah. But well, it's interesting because the cultural appropriation thing has has turned something that was so great on its head a little bit where you you kind of call everything, you know, it's like this blanket term where it's like, well, that's not what it was. You know, when we were growing up, you know, if I, you know, my, my Trinidadian friends, how proud they were of me to introduce sure. me to their uncles and aunts. Like, he makes his own pepper sauce, auntie. You know, he's like, he was eating, his face used to burn when he, eat, when he ate pepper sauce. And now he makes his own. And everybody was like, oh, that's so great. You're somebody embracing somebody else's culture. Yeah. And you can do that with food. You can do that. Now, 
when you start making money off somebody's food without honoring their culture at all, then we have a whole new argument. Okay. But, uh, man, come on. 90% of the Greek restaurants uh, in, in any city have Sri Lankans working in the back. Uh, I, I worked in New York, and the best chefs cooking the Italian food were, were Pakistani. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, so you know, you like, gotta, you, you know. Flexible on these yeah, We're going to be flexible. We're gonna, we're, we have a, the thing that we want to make sure this podcast proves is that we love Food, yes, we love drink, and that's yeah. my, my. The family. challenge, if I if uh, if I can say, is uh, is that, uh, you know. As much as you and I try to be flexible, it's very, very difficult. Sure. As soon as you watch, you know, uh, somebody ask for ketchup with their uh, with their sausage, right. you're like, oh god! There's like a reaction sure. you're gonna have. As soon as somebody, you know, if if they were gonna eat roti with like a, a curry, and 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 they didn't know what to do with the roti, and they just kind of rolled it up in a taco, you'd be like, what? The? You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's very difficult to be that person mm-hmm. genuinely in your heart. It's like, hey, eat whatever you want, do whatever you want. Right. We're aware of that. Yep. Sometimes we will have our little, uh, our things yeah. that we, are sticking points. Our purists. And, uh, uh, other times we'll say, hey, let's just relax. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let me, let me ask you this. How did you get this love for food? I'm Tell sure. me about, like, your earliest days, like... I'm not comfortable with that question. Okay, fair enough. Let me, let me, let me. Uh, imagine I wasn't. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that would be school lunches. Then let me. I'm gonna get into that because I got some some notes here that yeah, I yeah, yeah. Attack. Well, I so dude, I and I, you know I don't fault my mother at all, obviously for this. What an idiot I was. But my mother worked nine to five, um, fifty hours at least. She was gone from the house. So what she would do, she would do the best she could. She'd make a sandwich every night. Not in the morning. She'd prepare before. She'd make a sandwich for herself. She'd make a sandwich for me. It would be the same sandwich. Two pieces of white bread, two slices of white bread, tomato, Kraft Singles, mayonnaise, wrapped in foil. And the Kraft Single is processed cheese slices for our international listeners. Right. Eventually it became cheddar, you know, slices of cheddar. Still not great cheddar. What do you think happened with that tomato that was... Uh, you know, for 12 hours sitting up against that bread. It stained pristine and fresh <laughs> and was wonderful. You, my friend, don't understand what tomatoes <laughs> do to bread. Uh, you know, so every day, soggy sandwiches. Sure. And now I'm watching, you know. You're eating panzanella at that I'm point. <laughs> you know what? That would have been a great, uh, a great spin. Uh, but in fact, uh, yeah, soggy sandwiches, you know, I would open up with this foil and I'd like every day, the same thing. You know, my mother was doing her best, you know, if husband's a heavy drinker, uh, you know, d- daughter is special needs. She's doing everything she can to like just run this house sure. and her idiot son, me, I'm pointing at myself, yep. um, you know, I think at age 14, it's like grade nine. I'm watching my buddies have like four or five different containers. My buddy Zach would have like corned beef. I didn't even know what corned beef Zach, was. Man, that uh, Zach, guy. Uh, and then a, a container with just some pickles, a container with chips. Sorry, you were saying about Zach had all these compartments. Zach had a like compartmentalized food, and here I am, one soggy sandwich. So one day, grade nine, I'm particularly, uh, you know, uh, irked by this thing, and I say to my mom, I'm sick of your shitty, soggy. Oh. Tomato no. sandwiches, yeah. And you, first no. of all, how did you? How like? I just lost it. Oh man! First of all, you don't you don't swear in my house when I was growing oh. up. My father did plenty, but you don't swear at my mom. That's I just not something oh. I ever did. And second of all, using that's not the way I was supposed to you know talk to my mother. And then, um, God bless her heart, she said, "Okay, you can make your own sandwiches Done. from now on." Done. And I was like, "I will." And then I was like, "Oh man, now I got to do this." And I literally didn't have a start. I just knew I didn't want this, but. It, so then I start, like, you know, making 
omelets and just sure. having omelet sandwiches and then uh, various meats. And I started one thing I just saw uh, Ali Hassan, last name Hassan, nickname was Hassanwiches for a little while because okay. um, I just I paid so much attention to not making that, not allowing that bread to be soggy. So I, you know, with my dad, go shopping, grocery shopping with my dad. I'm like, can we get these sprouts? Right. Because then just that bed of sprouts sure, of will stop something from insulates, being insulates. You know, yeah, insulates. Course, yeah. So I'm all about like this, uh, you know, protecting the sure. bread and you know, you know, um, the integrity. I was so concerned with the integrity of the sandwich, and 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 her sandwiches was born. And then you know, by grade ten, I've got like these like black olive omelets Amazing. with a boursin cheese that my father liked on it, and I was like, oh, this is not so bad. Thing is, you know, I had to feed myself. My mother was not. She's like, you're so. Be thanks like that. to your mother. So thanks to my mother and my foul mouth. Let's yes. not forget about my foul mouth, who uh, who was really sure. to get credit for this. I started making sandwiches, Amazing. and then uh, and then that turned into like a little bit more um, chili, spaghetti, meatballs. Right. You know, this kind of thing. Not not making my own meatballs just yet, but just you know the stuff that I can make. Let me make, try to make a tomato sauce and um, various like, but you know. Very amateurish stuff, but you know, some of my buddies tell me like when we were in college and we would go on like ski trips and this and that. We the van where we'd pull up to this like townhouse that we'd be staying at for three days, and everyone would be like, "Okay, so Al, what groceries do we need?" Amazing. No, it was unspoken. It was just understood that obviously Ali, Al, that I'm yeah. the Al in that sure. story. You probably picked up. Um, Al's going to do the cooking, and I mean, a few of my friends are like, "Man, what would you have done if you didn't cook? You we would so starve." You were already food costing. Yeah, exactly. At, at a young age. Yeah, yeah, That's exactly. I was already designing. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Food costing is the best way to describe yeah. it. Although that for, you know, listeners who are not familiar with that world, they may not know what food costing it's is. One of the, it's a, something that could make or break your restaurant exactly. is someone who knows how to food cost and someone yeah. who doesn't. Yeah. So, you know, right away I was like, okay, we're going to need oregano. We're going to need this. We're going to need this, wow. this, this, this. And then I'd have, you know, menus in mind. And, you know, another thing happened with my father when I was about 18 or 19. He had angina. Right. uh, The first of many heart and and lung issues over the next 20, 30 years. Uh, But then we, we, you know, so the whole thing was like... uh, no butter, uh-huh. no oil, no. right? And so it was a big you know, transition to margarine. Which is worse. Uh, which is way worse. Right, but at the, time, at, at the time, time it was hard healthy. It was, yeah, Doctors sure. know what yeah, they're talking yeah. about. We, they must know. Um, so then, yeah, we're, somehow it went l- low salt, low oil, right. and then, you know, low flavor yeah. too. Like somehow the, the, the even the chili and all the spice was like... Cut. I think they just went low everything. And so then I went on kind of a vendetta at that point of like, I will make, I will recreate the meals of my youth. I can't live like this. Yeah. Good for you. And that, and then, you know, the star was born. There you go. That's eat. That's how eat eat happened. Marco, how does somebody decide that I want to be a guy? Mm-hmm. Who quenches people's thirst? I find that fascinating because I would never. I think stomach. You know, yeah, yeah. I'll feed you. They, they'll be. But you're like, no, no, no. I'll get you a little buzzed. I'll quench your thirst. Sure. I'll be the first thing in your mouth. That you're gonna, yeah. yeah. So, and and you know, I'm gonna be shaking mm. uh, things around you. How did you want to? For do me, it's all about taking the stigma and the snobbiness and bullshit away from beverages and cocktails. Mm. But also keeping to when something is perfect, keep it perfect. So here's my, here's my sort of journey. Uh, since I was a little kid, my dad and my grandfather would make wine. 
in every September, every fall, they'd get grapes and they would make wine. This and is here in Toronto. This is here in Toronto. And I was part of that process. Even if they didn't want me to be a part of that process, it, uh, because if you, have you ever made wine? I've not. So there's these contraptions, these mechanical seen instruments yes. that that create the wine that are fascinating for a kid. So you take the grapes and you throw them into this thing that 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 and you 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 do this. What, what am I doing okay. right now? So they, uh, you're, cranking, you're, you're cranking. You're cranking something that. So that, you weren't doing the feet. You weren't standing in a bucket with your. Oh, feet. Oh, I was trying to crank. crank. I always wanted to crank. I always yeah. wanted to get that crank, and it's like two cogs that that crush the grapes yeah. so that it releases some of the juices. Right. Right. That's and, what I mean. You weren't doing it with your toes and your feet. No, 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 no. That no. That's the, that's uh, I love Lucy. I mean, like at a certain <laughs> point, I I that's one of those things that people that's have festivals. Yeah, in Italy people. Well, think yeah. oh that's how it sounds no that's I, I think <laughs> maybe in the 17th century that's how they did okay. it but anyway so then from there you put them into this other machine that squishes it and you're cranking back and forth cranking back and forth and as a kid all you want to do is the mechanics right and right. you see the wine spilling out or, or the juice spilling out it's not quite wine then but it's laborious, right? But as a kid, you just want to do it once or twice, right? But then you're kind of like in the way of the adults who are doing it. Yeah. Then you get older and you're like, oh, is gotta, it that weekend again? It's like I gotta do, it, I gotta yeah. crank, I gotta do this, and 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 now you become slave labor. Now it's right. like you crank it, you do this. You want to do it as a kid, now you do. Now that you have the strength, right? So for me, wine was always like I knew how to make wine yeah. and I knew the process, and it wasn't elegant, and it wasn't snobby, and it wasn't you know uh, condescending. Right. So when I started to so I grew up with that and I always had access to wine. So when we were having lunch or dinner, there was always wine on the table and I was encouraged to drink it. Mm. But I didn't care about it because it's like, oh, why do I want to drink that when I can drink something juice or something? Right. So wine was never a big thing in my household because that's how I was raised. So cut to me working in the restaurant business and people are like, what? How dry? What is the dry level on this? Oh, do you know that Armagnac, they grow that in a different type of soil? And it's like, folks, let's just relax. okay? because you're not enjoying for me, you're not enjoying the beverage. You're talking about it in a way that's dismissive to people who don't get it. And so that there's this this fear of like, I don't know what wine to order when I go to a restaurant. I don't. And I I work against that. I'm like, no. Yeah. If I'm a good sommelier, if I'm a good waiter, if I'm a good bar server, you ask me and I'll guide you to what you like. Even if you don't know, if you just tell me, if I ask you to describe a flavor that you like, I'll point you in the right direction. But I won't dismiss it. I won't make you look foolish. For me. That's what a beverage or a cocktail or a coffee is all about. You might not know what an espresso macchiato is. I don't expect you to know it. But I know what a good espresso macchiato is, and I'll take you there, and I'll make sure you get a good espresso mm-hmm. macchiato. That's great. Yeah, so that's, that's where my passion comes from. I, uh, I think we connect on that issue, too, because there is all this mystery, especially around Indian food. I was telling you that I started cooking Middle Eastern food, Mediterranean food, sure. this kind of stuff. And then students, students, these were like you know, more often than not women, 20 years older than me, but sure. my students yes. would be like, where are you from? And I'd be like, oh, my family's from Pakistan. They'd be like, oh, we'd love to learn about that. I mean, you would? And you go back and you explore your own cuisine in an excited sure. way. But 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 as a guy who was teaching people, I was like, I, I don't, you know, they would be at the these stores where I taught, like these grocery stores. Mm-hmm. Could you wear the chef's hat? I'm, like, I'm never going to wear the chef's hat. It's not a... 
you are empty vessels sure. and I'm communicating knowledge into your brain. Mm. It's like we can all learn. Everybody has experience, whether it's through a grandmother or a friend or like them themselves yeah. that they can impart. Who can you? You can always learn something about food from somebody. Although in this day and age, that's arguable. There are sure. some people you can't learn anything from because they have avoided mm. like a mission. Like I will never be stuck in the kitchen. And that, you know, we, I, I see friends who are now like, Guys, you guys, are, your health is in trouble because you yeah. just eat out all the time. You can't make anything for yourself. So anyway, it's fascinating too. For example, like um, this whole this whole sort of culture or this uh, celebrity cult of chefs, which I don't necessarily buy into. Just because you have that pedigree, yeah, you can cook. That's great, but you're not going to cook as good as my mother or as or my grandmother did mm. when it comes to northern Italian cuisine, unless that's your specialty, right? Sure. And so it's like, yeah, there is a respect. I do have a respect for chefs, proper chefs, and people who've studied in Cordon Bleu this and whatever that. Uh, but that's not to diminish the fact that there's some people who've not studied anything and they've just been around it yeah. who are able to do it and just know what Well, there's what no food substitute for experience. There isn't. There's just no substitute. You know, this is a big, this is a, this is a even more, you know, a larger discussion that I started having in the comedy world because yeah. people would teach comedy classes. We're both comedians, by the way. We're both comedians. Yes. That's another and thing. And actors and yeah. writers. Yeah, we never mentioned that off the top. <laughs> It'll all come out. Listen. It'll all come out. So uh, Jimbo, it was the owner of uh, the Comedy Works in Montreal, and sure. he was very, very much of the belief that, you know where the classroom is? The classroom's right there. And he yeah. pointed his stage. That's the classroom. He's right. He was right. You do two, th two, three sets a night. What you learn there, as long as you're going through the motions of, uh, not going through the motions, but going through the effort yes. of taking notes, what did I learn? Why did that joke not work? That's way more valuable than a, than a you know, three hours Sunday with somebody and like joke. I mean, some people need it. Some people need the class, gives them direction, gives them focus. But I, I don't know. In the end, the experience is everything. Is there something you eat every single day? No, I'm not that guy. Okay. I'm not that guy. I have a brother-in-law who eats a cheese sandwich five okay. days a week. And I'm like, I don't even understand how your sure. mind works. Like I drink a cappuccino every single day. Every single day. Yeah. I don't have every. I, start, I, I usually day. start my day with it. Uh, well, maybe not a cappuccino, but with an Italian espresso-based coffee, I have every single day. I would say 10 to yeah, 10 years of my life, I started the day with orange juice every single day. Okay. And the reason is because that's how my mother would get me up. She would come in my room. Gotta love it. With a uh, with orange juice, and she'd be like, "The juice is spilling. The juice is spilling." I'd be like, "Huh? What? What? what why is this? Uh, you know what I mean?" And now you're up, and you have orange juice Amazing. in your mouth, and you're like, "This is how she would wake me up." Either that, or like as I got older, teenager, it would be like, "You wasted half the day. Wake up!" Opening the blind, like aggressive. Sure. But even then, there was still orange juice waiting in the. So it was Amazing. my my foundation is a juice foundation, which I never drink that juice anymore. I was always like. Fresh orange juice, fresh sure. grapefruit juice. It's just, I can't go back to the, you know, the branded. I was sure. going to mention yeah, the brand there. I don't, don't even know. You don't have to Am explain I? anymore. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I was just wondering when, when, at what point you told your mother mother to fuck off, stop bringing me orange juice, seeing as Never that's happened. the kind of son you Never seem happened. to be. Okay that, then I would have to bring myself orange juice. <laughs> I had to crawl out of bed for my OJ. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Tell me. I have, I have your culinary res resume in front of me. Um, <laughs> Which, which was an experience in itself as we were sort of formulating our first episode here. Uh, cash and curry. Tell me about that. Cash and curry was uh, a great little spot. It was a not-for-profit uh, art gallery. Oh. And we set up in the back. It also had a kitchen. We set up in the back a... Um, um, 
our, our, our restaurants. It had a kitchen there. It had maybe seating for 22, 25 people at most. You were the chef and co Myself right? and my friend Nanta. Okay. And anyone from Montreal who's been in Montreal the last 20 years will know Nanta. He is a Malaysian dude. He's a, you know, local um, bon vivant and never do well. And, you know, um, there's a chapter written in a book. I can't remember the name of the author. Is Joe? F- anyway, yeah. uh, there's a chapter that talks about Nanta. That oh, when Nanta amazing. is in his car driving down the street, other cars leave parking spaces to me. It's just it. like things go his way, kind of thing. So he was a he was a man about town. He was a Malaysian guy who just missed his mother's cooking and started cooking, and then. More and more, uh, you know, he realized this is what I want to do. And this is sometimes it was his side hustle. Sometimes it was his main thing. And he owned restaurants. He worked in restaurants. Sometimes he was in restaurants where the man, the, the owner and the uh, and him had a deal where they'll make profits off the booze. He'll make the food, the food Amazing. money. Except that people would come just for food sometimes, because oh, his food was sure. like you know he's making Malaysian laksa, laksa soup, and you don't need mm. a beer at that point. You're having a nice warm nursing soup. You're not thinking, and so then he would he would run into issues with the uh, with the owners. They're like, mm. no one's no one's drinking. They're just coming here and eating your food. Well, this is the deal you wrote. Anyway, he and I started this place together, Cash and Curry, In and it was a Malaysian yeah. yeah, it was a Malaysian Amazing. takeout place, and it was great. My the the, the problems you want to have. My comedy career was taking off to a, a good place yeah. at the same time as we were oh. doing that. So a year into Cash and Curry, I was missing like Fridays and Saturdays, uh, you know, a few times a month. And then it was such a small operation. I had to find somebody to sub in for me every right. time. And then it was like, it doesn't make sense. We're paying this person. You're off doing right. this. And so anyway, you know, it, uh, I, I had to leave it. And in the end, he, 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 he moved on as well. But it was uh, one of the greatest experiences. Wow. Didn't make a cent for a year. Right. But um, because we were blowing it all, like partying afterwards. But it was a great experience. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, cool. you have. Uh, I, <laughs> I wish we should actually post your resume. There's this great stuff here. Uh, Board of Trade Country Club. Yes. Uh, and and you wrote in brackets, think of dirt, that place in Dirty Dancing, which is hilarious. I mean, uh, yeah, I got hired as a bar server there yeah. when I was eighteen. Yeah. So in Ontario, you have to be nineteen years old to drink, but you can be eighteen year old, eighteen to years old serve, to serve alcohol. Yeah. And so I got hired at this fancy swanky country club that was sort of dying. Yeah. Much like the lament in, in Dirty Dancing, where like nobody comes to the Catskills anymore. Yeah. This was a country club that had a golf course and a curling club in it. And you had to, if you were a member, had to spend a certain amount every month in the dining room. And it was a formal dining room. So yeah. we made like Caesar salads at the table. And they would have bands that would play every week. And all these old folks would get up and dance. Mm. And we'd have like the big band was Lawrence Welk's clarinet player, Henry Cuesto, would come for two weeks every year. And people would line up for this guy who used to wail in a in a clarinet like yeah. just think about it a, a clarinet player would draw yeah, yeah. yeah so that's what kind of you ever see a black or a brown person in the time that you worked there only only if they were back in of the, the house okay. or if they were in the band yeah, yeah. but uh, no we had one or two members who were God bless but you. it was certainly just so that they could say that we have no no we <laughs> open to everyone yeah, right exactly. um, don't but, tell your friends about but us but that was where I learned about like how to open a wine bottle property how like you know classic cocktails that had made a disappearance that are only resurging now in the last five mm. years, but you this know, is the foundation of this your was training. The, yeah, because right? it was like I'll teach you. The bartenders were all like full of piss and vinegar, and they're like, yeah. "I'll teach you how to make that. I'll show you how to make a stinger on yeah, the rocks." Yeah, yeah. I'll here taste it, right? Even though I was underage, they're like, "You need to know what it tastes like." So, yeah. and so 
I got this sort of early start on classic cocktails in a time where people were just ordering gin and tonics and rum, rum yeah, and cokes. Yeah, yeah. That is a great foundation. Yeah. And uh, at, a, at a leisurely pace where you're actually learning. Yeah. Not in like a nightclub where it's just like pop, 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 no. pop, 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 and you're not even, yeah. you don't even care if it like tastes like a proper Cosmo or whatever. You're angry that they're not just ordering it. And then you did that too. Atlantis Nightclub is a place where I, may, I you may have even served me. We used to come visit from Montreal, oh Toronto. We'd go to Atlantis and uh, spend way too much money uh, just to get the, the 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 energy and the bravado to go dance for three hours. It was the most bullshit place I've oh, ever worked. So, so it was a club in a little on a little man-made island. And I remember working there, and I remember everyone was an asshole to me. They, there was these bartenders that had been there forever, right? And they just looked down on me like, who the fuck are you? Like, you're coming here. We just got hired. I'm like, I got hired to bartend, right? And I remember there was this French-Canadian woman who was a bartender too. And we kind of connected because they're treating us both badly, and they put us in the worst bar. And we're like, all right, put us in the worst dance part, and we'll just serve and have fun. And we just looked at each other like, I'd much rather work with you than these assholes. And we yeah. were making – and I was like – Screw it. I'm going to charge what I want. Like, if if you came to the bar and I, and I knew you or whatever, I'm like, here's your kamikaze free or here's your J&T free. Yeah. I don't care. Like, these guys are treating me like garbage. And interesting enough, both myself and this French-Canadian woman who I don't remember her name. She was sweet. We were the only two not scamming tips. I've never – I have to say, as, as long as my career as waitering and uh, – as a as a bartender has been, I have never scammed tips, even though I knew I worked for restaurants where they were pooling money and taking money. And I worked with people that I knew were stealing tips. I never did. And just to uh, just to be clear on this, if anybody doesn't know, mm-hmm. tips typically go in a pool and it's shared among, let's say, bus bus boys, yep. right? Bussers and, and servers. Well, you Is can it? you can work at places where you keep your own tips and then you tip out. Yeah. So I would tip out to, let's say, the, the chef or the or the or my bar back or whatnot. Yeah. I've never worked in those houses. I've only worked in pool houses, which yeah. I don't love. Yeah. And a lot of those places, the money goes to management and then management divvies it up. Uh, so you never truly know where that's going. Sure. And I've worked in several restaurants and I won't name them where I know the owners were skimming and skimming and skimming. Can you imagine, man? You're not even getting a proper yeah. wage. <laughs> the tips are everything for you. And then the owners take and that I was too. A good, I was a good waiter. I was a good bartender. People liked me. Maybe I wasn't the best bartender. Because I wouldn't put up with, like, there's some mixologists or bartenders who or baristas who, you know, make a big song and dance about it. And good for them. That's their style. That was never my style. I was like, I'll make you the drink, but I'm not going to flourish my hands like a magician at the end of it. No, yeah, you're yeah. just going to get a drink from me. So, But uh, different strokes for different folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like this, that you uh, hosted the junior chef competition across Canada. And you said this is before Chopped, right? This, this is, is so... I did this with my buddy who, you know, Mark yeah, DeAngelis. Yeah. We got hired because we were improvisers to do this competition where they would have junior chefs in different provinces competing. So you'd have about 10 junior chefs. So they could be in culinary school or they could just be people who worked in restaurants. But they couldn't be professionals, let's say. They couldn't be an actual chef. And they were all, all like under the age of 22, let's say. And they would all have to prepare a dish based on the same ingredients, Right. And they would be judged, and one of them would would then vie for a chance to compete and be on the Canadian Culinary Olympic team. Okay. That would then go— This is what age group? This was junior chefs. So they were like, let's say under 25. They weren't very old. They were like—most of them were in culinary schools. You said— 
I'm picturing MasterChef kids age. No. I, when I heard Junior. No, no, plus sorry. Mark now, uh, you know, he's written yes. on a show called uh, Odd Squad, which I've been on, and he's which you've been on as yep. well. So I was just thinking like 12 and under. No, no, these no, no, these were is, okay, these were chefs in culinary school, or junior it. chefs, and. What was amazing, which you don't see on Chopped, was they would do this at food food shows. You know when they have those sort of like, uh, you know, the convention center and you can go around? Well, Knorr was sponsoring mm. this thing. So Knorr was one of their major sponsors. So they had all these, all these like um, kitchens and, and ovens and whatnot where these kids would be cooking. And they'd be cooking and they'd have a guest chef. So it would like be Christine Cushing or mm-hmm. um, I can't remember her, the other, the other chef's name. But... It takes hours to prepare those dishes, right? So we had to provide comedic relief in the time that these were people were cooking. Oh, so it's wow. it's only in the last four minutes that it gets exciting, where they're chopping away and they're like, you sure, know, prayer. Of course, but of course. All the prep. The time, viewer never thinks about that. They're trying to get people in to watch what's going on and be interested, but they're not. They're they're boiling carrots. They're they're making a roux or something, right? <laughs> so me and Mark were just like jackasses. We'd be like at like, and there was celebrity judges, so we'd be asking celebrity judges. Insane questions, but we did that across Canada. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, I, I've had to do that on a, a sitcom that was filmed in Toronto, oh. spun out. Yes, yes. And so, uh, you know, in between takes or while they're turning around a camera or shifting things on scene, I have to be the idiot, you know, between the scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, what's your favorite show? I don't know. I uh, really liked uh, Cheers. Wrong answer. It's spun out. <laughs> come on, buddy. Hey, come on. Hey, come with the program. You know, and you're just constantly like it's a real dance monkey dance sure. situation. And then in your ear, they go, Oh, we're ready, and you're like in the middle of telling a story. So then you realize I can't be too self-indulgent about this. Yeah. Like, you can't be like you know, funny story, guys. Uh, I remember when I was a kid. And so, <laughs> oh, are we? Do- okay, never mind. And it was a constantly like that. You're constantly getting pulled. So it's like, all right, I'm just gonna I'm gonna dance through this thing. Who wants to win some donuts? You know, just it was a mess. But now, uh, you worked in one of my favorite culinary cities, which was Chicago. Oh yeah. So you worked there for IT, and then you got into food. Well, like, uh, tell me that journey. So, <laughs> Uh, there were many signs along the way that I did not belong in IT okay. or anything out of the food world, to be perfectly honest. But, uh, you know, I did this IT program. It's like four modules. So in one module, you got to build like a, the back end of, of some system. And I'd be like, let's do the back end uh, an inventory for, uh, for uh, a, a grocery store. Right. I convinced my team, four people, like, no, grocery store would be good. No, your idea sucks, grocery store. Then the next one, we're doing a front, like a, a an app, um, what would you call it? This is how bad I am at okay. IT. Like something with a front, you know, a face, face an interface app. Interface. Okay. Interface. Okay. There's the word. You're doing an interface. I'm like, how about a reservation system for a restaurant? Well, we could, no. <laughs> restaurant. Go to a restaurant. It, so this one woman, Winnie, I remember, she was in three out of the four modules with me, just by chance. Good old Winnie. Good old Winnie. And Winnie Chung said to me, she goes, you know, you have no business in IT, right? I'm like, a bit rude. She goes, yeah. no. I mean it in a way like you're obviously obsessed with food. You, you're the only person in this class I can talk to about restaurants. I was like spending my like, money that's supposed to be for loan by going out and eating sure. instead, you know. Or is everyone else is like macaroni mm-hmm. and I'm like, forget it. You got to live. Yeah. Uh, but I was heavily in debt and it was like all food all the time. She's like, you don't belong here. I was like, I'm doing this. Anyway, get a job in Chicago with this degree. Hate everything about the job. Okay. Suck at this job. But are you happy that you're in Chicago and the food I'm is I'm so amazing? happy like, I'm in Chicago. Okay. But I want to put a gun in my mouth eight hours of every day. Oh, wow. 
every day. I mean, I would go to lunch and I would. And you're earning good cash. Earning good cash. Earning good cash. You've got a great job. Sixty-one thousand dollars. Okay. Exactly. Uh, and that was back in the day. So it was, it was, a, it was in 2000. It yeah. was a great paycheck. Yeah. I was paying off my school loans and all that, but yeah. I was living in Chicago. Sure. It was excellent, you know, and uh, the world held some promise for me. But at the same time, every single day, I was like, I can't do this. Wow. I can't, this can't be my life. Right. And so I lived at 10, I lived at 12 West Elm. Mm-hmm. At 10 West Elm, uh, basically a bar inside my building. I would just take the the, the, the elevator down, go outside for about, um, I would say, two seconds. Yeah. One, two, and then you're back into the bar. Sure. Uh, it was called Spikes, run by this uh, you know misogynist, uh, very rough around the edges, ex-Navy SEAL named Spike. He's a five-foot-four Italian guy who is just like— I like Spike already. A dirty, dirty, dirty man. And uh, he specialized in bachelorette parties. So there would be like these Spike. buses. This is Spike. This is who he is. There would be these buses that would uh, – tour buses that would take bachelorette parties from bar to bar to bar. Sure. So he was on that circuit. Yeah. He was one of the stops. So I go in there and I'm, I like to drink. I like to forget about the day I've had, which I hated. And I would drink. I would strike up conversation with people. And then Spike goes, hey, you looking for a job? I go, I, you know, I have a day job. He goes, what about weekends? What about nights? You want to work here? I'm like, okay, I'm Canadian. He goes, okay, that shouldn't be no problem. He goes, if the cops ever come, you just wait in the meat freezer. But uh, <laughs> I was like, what? Gotta love it. Yeah, in the meat locker. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm like, okay. So my cousin was like, I, are you joking? He goes, people go in the bars, they get drunk, they get in the fights, they get all kinds of, you go in a bar, you get a job? Yep. A second job? Nice. I'm like, I don't know, it's so weird. So I would be in the kitchen, um, Making like steak sandwiches and stuff like that, and just in heaven, it's like my own. It's just like me being in my own kitchen. Sure, and I loved that a hundred times more than the consulting job. Another sign that I did. <laughs> and also the other thing we would do is uh, we would he would call me out of the kitchen to 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 kind of spot these girls who were dancing on the bar. Oh man, the bad. I can't tell you. How many vaginas I saw? How many? Yeah, of course. Yeah. There have been so many girls not wearing panties and for they reasons. Were I, on the bar. So and they were, were above. Yeah, sure. And my cousin, I got him a job as well. And between women's legs, we'd be looking at each other with our hands up yeah. like this, being like just trying to spot these women. And we'd be looking at each other, just shaking our heads like, what? What life is this? The, like crazy this things sense? happen in restaurants that people don't even begin to know. Yeah. And as much as you can read Anthony Bourdain's confidential, yeah, like yeah, kitchen confidential, yeah. you can read all that stuff. But until you experience it, it's hard to even fathom. Yeah. It's hard to fathom what goes on. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it really is another world. Yeah. I remember one time when I was working in this restaurant <laughs> in New York, everybody – there was a panic amongst all the all – the, what do you call it? The people who – the food runners. And they're like, and I'm like, what's going on right now? I was friends with food runners. I was people in the kitchen, uh, everyone. Like, every, I was friends with everyone in the restaurant, I have to say. And this one guy's like, I'll use a different name. Um, uh, uh, Carmine. Carmine. <laughs> the person has such an interesting name that I'm trying to get an interesting name. Okay, yeah, I'll just yeah, say, yeah. Carmine passed out. He was eight balling, and now he can't serve anymore. And it's like, what? He's like, yeah, he can't food run. We're down one food runner because he's eight balling. Somebody's taking him to the hospital. I'm like, What's going on here, right? This was New York. Yeah, it happens all the time. Somebody will yeah. like OD or whatever mid-shift. And we're like, I'm like, I can't believe. And my eyes just got wide being this Canadian in New York in a, in a fancy, fancy. I was just in Montreal a couple yeah. weeks ago. I'm on this uh, this CBS television show. So one yeah. of the leads, Oded 
people might know him from like The Mummy, The Mummy Returns. Sure. Wonderful dude. I'm like, why don't we go to this place, this Italian place? Um, it's known for its pizza, apparently, it's supposed to be very sure. good. We go in, it's 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. The time is, is essential for it's yeah. 4 p.m. We've wrapped on our day. He's like, you know what? I rarely drink anymore. I'll have a glass of wine and I'll order some yeah. lamb chops and this fantastic food. There are women doing coke in the bathroom oh, yeah. at 4 p.m. And I know this because the same guy escorted them to the one-person bathrooms. It was such, it was like classic Montreal douchebaggery, but but it still lives today. I couldn't yeah. believe it. I'm like, this is 20 years ago. This was yeah. 4 p.m. doing yeah. cocaine. I mean, do it at 3 a.m. like a civilized person, you yeah. know? 4 p.m., what are you doing? <laughs> What's the rest of your day going to be oh, like? Oh, man. Anyway, so yeah, the, the restaurant scene is just something it's, else. It is you insane. Know? It looked like they were friends of the owners and had their run of the place and stuff. It's, uh, yeah, all, all the things that, I know this doesn't apply everywhere, mm-hmm. but uh, but in many cases, you know, the, the the decency of the world that we think we know about, it uh, it doesn't always no, exist no, no, it in, uh, beyond those walls. The restaurant industry or the restaurant business is insane. Yeah. It's its own beast and until you work it. And you'll hear us uh, throughout the podcast episodes. We're going to talk about our experiences. We're also going to talk about food. We're going to talk about drink. Our um, last segment will be... What's in Marco's mouth? Where I get blindfolded, and it's a great segment. And I hate it. it. And Ali is going to put some mysterious food item in my mouth, and I have to then. It's good that you clarified food item. It's always going to be a food item. It's always going to be a food item. That's the one problem. You're always going to be blindfolded. It's always going to sound perverted and dirty as hell because there's no other way to do it. We're not doing it intentionally like that, but it's just going to sound that way. What are you going to do? He has a mouth, and I'm putting things in it. Oh man, it's just insane. Yeah, so so stay tuned. We'll probably have interviews with chefs and people in the, and that'll come. And we'll have mini episodes where we talk about certain topics and all that kind of goodness. Right. But basically, every episode will be you making a great drink. It'll be me telling people how to make a great dish, yeah. featuring uh, you know some ingredient that I want to you know talk at length about because I'm excited about it, which could be anything. I was just making a list a few weeks ago as we were coming up with the show, and uh, the list never ends. It never ends, so like about things, you know what I mean? And some days, you know, you might make a drink with a lemon twist, and I might be focusing on lemon. Sure. But then in the end, what I'm really making is like uh, whatever, some Greek souvlaki. But right. but but it's just because I squeeze lemon on it that Amazing. I'm focusing on lemon. So it, we're gonna we're gonna make your mouth water. Right? There's just no way around it. Now, we're gonna make our own mouth water. You as well. let us know what you think of it, and we're gonna make our own mouth water for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I just said the word souvlaki and I felt extra saliva in my mouth. Uh, now I want tzatziki. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you're like, you put that in my head. It's like when you get a song. I know. You, it you and I are both like a, a marketer's wet dream. You just <laughs> say the thing. That now I got to eat it. Within I got three days and I got to eat it. I'm going to ask you one last thing before we go that's on this paper that I have in front of me. You can do the same with me. Yeah. Uh, you had a blog, a food blog. Yeah. Uh, that you co-developed called Bland is Boring. Yeah. So Bland is Boring still exists. Oh, it does. On okay, YouTube. A lot of blogs kind of disappear. I know. Well, yeah, the, the website, uh, that we don't sure. we don't maintain it anymore, you know, where I used to film it with my friend. His life moved on. You know, I came here. I got married in Toronto. Two kids, then two more. He gets married. He's got two kids. And he's moved from that apartment where we used to film. And it just, you know, we, we had to really go all in on that thing. Sure. In the end, what it is is it's about 30 25 to 30 episodes, short, two to five minutes. The idea was like even people with the most severe ADD can pay attention for just under five minutes to me making some of my favorite dishes. So Bland is Boring is a a channel on YouTube. Oh, amazing. And if people want to see me from a few years ago 
in action. If you want to see the beauty thinner. behind the voice, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you go there. There it is. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, so yeah. I, it's uh, it's exciting. I enjoy it. I um, I I want to talk to you about th- there's like a 15 things on this uh, resume right, right. which will come up over it'll our come up it'll time come together, up. but uh, cycle tour guide for a very high end travel company uh, in Italy. Yeah. How uh, how tight were those bicycle shorts? Oh, Everybody man. got to know each other pretty it, well. You, you joke, but it was true. I, I'll never forget the <laughs> first time. Seriously. So it yeah. was like, so it's a high end. It's called Butterfield and Robinson. I had a great time with them, and I had just finished doing a six year stint of a staged show, a, a show on stage. Which was where in, in, in Italy? In, no, in Toronto. Okay. I was doing a show at Second City. Six and, years. And, yeah, hell it got canceled. It got canceled. It ran itself out. Let's yeah. say, or it was mismanaged. Um, one could say, "Let's spill some tea." Let's Listen, spill some I'm tea. Spill huh? some fucking tea. That's what this show's about, man. I'm not. I'm not no holds bar here, right? Anyways, I'm not bitter about it. But I got this job where it was like you can be a cycle guide or a hiking guide in in anywhere in the world. But if you spoke a language, they would put you there. Of Italy, Italy was. I can speak Italian, so they're like, "Oh, we'd love you to be a cycle guide." And I'm like, I haven't ridden a bike in fifty. They're like, "It's okay. Get a bike. Get used to it. We can teach you to ride." I'm like, but I don't know necessarily everything about what... And they're like, no, no, we don't want you to be a guy that talks about history. We'll hire people to do that. We need you to be personable like you are, funny like you are, and take these people who are spending thousands and thousands of dollars Mm. to experience the best in food and culture and drink in Italy. So we do wine tours in Tuscany. We would do food tours in Piemonte. And so... I got I got on that, and you know it sounds. We'd we'd eat at Michelin stars. We would drink the finest wines and all that stuff, and it sounds wonderful. But I tell you, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times because you're dealing with these type A personalities who have millions and millions of dollars, and they have an expectation, and they feel insecure because they're in a place where they don't speak the language and they don't quite understand, mm. and they want to command you around, but they also, you know, so. It was intense. It was wonderful. I wish I had done it in my early 20s because I would have really appreciated it. I did it a little bit later in life, and uh, it was still great. You were already fixed on who you wanted to be and how you wanted to be treated as a human being. It's a bike. Relax. Pump your own tire. You know, I was kind of like, oh. Or like you just get some people who are just assholes. You'd You'd get the most lovely people. You'd get the worst people. Yeah. I had this one woman, and I just need to say this. We were in Italy, and I curse her to this day. Because it was on my first tour. I won't say her name because I, I don't even remember it. But she's this old bag who <laughs> wanted peanut M&Ms before she rode her bike every day. Oh, my God. I'm in what Italy. You, Celine Dion here? I'm, I'm just... in Italy where they have some of the finest chocolate arguably in the world. And they would look at peanut M&Ms as like who eats this crap. Yeah, of course. Now, was this part of your job description to be like kind of a concierge to Yeah, these we people? had to do everything. Oh, what? you had to do yeah, it. Yeah, that's okay. why it was but so it high. Sucked that so it, uh, I had to go to dingy bars where they would sell it like we sell potato chips. Yeah. And I'd have to buy up all their M&Ms so that I could get this woman. Every morning. Every morning, peanut M&Ms. And people would look at me like, this is the home of like hazelnut and chocolate and janduja and like Ritter Sport you can get. Like all these fine chocolates. If you don't like Italian chocolates, we can get the Verona. German or the or the Belgian Verona. chocolate. Yeah. Verona, and, yeah. And, and Ferrero Rocher. Like all this yeah, yeah. is in Italy. And she wanted peanut M&Ms. And everyone in the hotel would look at me like... I don't know where you're going to get that. We don't have it. <laughs> and they'd be like, I think there's a bar down the street, but it closes at 9. So I'd have to, like, race or I'd have to get up early in the morning yeah, yeah, and get yeah. it for her. 
And that's what I would be dealing with. That's terrible. So there you go. That is a that is a real like a it's like a microcosm, you know. Like, that just gives us a, a slightest indication of how horrible that job yeah. could have been. Which is it's terrible to hear about because this was my dream yeah. for my wife and I. We were thinking France because sure. I speak the language. Mm-hmm. So the idea was like wine, cheese, great. meat, uh, touring on a bike. Yeah. We go for like not a crazy class, mm-hmm. like not meant for bike or bicyclist. Sure, sure. Uh, but enough, uh, serious enough that you know you're still you're still biking like 50 kilometers a day. You have to exercise before your yeah. vacation. Anyway, never happened. Now we never exercise before our vacations, yeah. and we're always the the least healthy people <laughs> in our group of friends on the beach. And we're always like, God damn it! Um, your wife looks know. healthy to me. She looks fit. She's okay. Beautiful, beautiful. You, you but, don't, uh, but she. No, does. of course I do. <laughs> no, she's 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 great. Anyway, that it. it we still may do that vacation. Listen, it's day. a great if you're the person who's on the tour, it's fantastic. But but you just also illustrated to me that don't go to the very very high end ones because you'll be with those type of people who are like obscenely yeah, uh, yeah. We had and, and we would have people who would not get along with uh, travelers, of course, and they'd be like, "This guy's an asshole." I'd be like, "Well, you know what? I'll make sure you don't sit with them." Yeah, and then I'll never forget. I was I'll just t- lead finish with this part of the story because I could talk about my touring, but. Then we would deal with restaurateurs in Italy who were total fucking assholes. And you'd be like, listen, I have – this person can't have gluten, so, you know, uh, can you not put the barley in the soup at the end for one for one soup? And he's like, no, I do it to all the soups. Too bad they don't get the soup. This and, is the Italian shit. Yeah, these are Italian – and then I had this one restaurateur, and he was such a dick, and his wife was such a bitch. And they had – it was called the Frantoio. They had this, like – uh, they had this. They had this. Um, what, what do you call it? Uh, they had like a um, fortified farmhouse that was converted into a restaurant, and it was like this restaurant that we do this seven course meal. And he he always made it seem like he was so welcoming, and she always seemed so shy and like demure. And she would cook in the back, and he would entertain the guests. But when I would have to deal with them the day before. They were monsters. She was such a bitch, and she would come out all coy and shy at the end when they clap for her. I'm like, she's a total, she's a total <laughs> bitch, guys. You're clapping for her, and I'll never forget this, Ali. I just need to say this. So he would come. We would be eating, and he would, as we're like starting our course, he would come with a plate of figs, and put them in front of the guests. Like just like jam himself like from behind with a with a plate of figs and say, these figs were picked from the land of the Lord by the women who live in this part of. Italy, right? Mm. And you'd be like, what the, f- like, wh- why is this guy randomly coming in with figs that were picked on his property, right? And, and doing these poetic things, right? And I'll never forget. He didn't translate this word right. Mm. And we had bowls of pasta. And on these pastas, they would grate fresh cheese. So he came with this big ball of ricotta cheese and he goes, this cheese was freshly raped in the back. And then he'd pull the cheese away. And I just look at my co-guide and I'm like, he just said they raped the cheese, right? And nobody really nobody really <laughs> caught on because they were busy eating and just marveling at everything. Sure, right? sure, sure. So my last day, they were such dicks to me. I, I, I remember saying to one of the women that worked at the restaurant, I go, oh, you know what? You might want to tell. And he wanted to be called the professor. That was his thing. It was his place, but he wanted to be oh. the professor. So I'd say, you might want to tell the professor not to say that he rapes the cheese. And she goes, why? I go, because rape doesn't mean great. It means he fucked the cheese in the back. Against right? its will. Against its will. <laughs> and they looked at me. I'm like, yeah, the professor. And I walked out. Yeah. Like, ah, so. yes. Nice. So, I like anyways, oh, I got so great. many. All my co-guides have stories like that. But um, <laughs> listen, this these episodes, this is going to be the longest episode because our episodes are going to stay around 45 minutes. Yeah. 
So tune in. It's, it's not always going to be stories, but there's always going to be some stories. Yeah. Huh? This is we, We're trying to tell people we have a wealth of experience and knowledge and ridiculousness. Some of it people are going to relate to because sure. they've been in the restaurant yeah. industry. Some of it is going to be like, come on, that's not true. And uh, it's all true. Is this first episode us just trying to justify to ourselves that we that we can do this podcast? Do we belong here? Is that what was real? We belong here. We went through that a long time ago. Yeah. We, we knew... Uh, we knew we were meant for this. It's true. Also, the uh, social media handles were available, so why not? <laughs> this is my friend, Ali Hassan. This is Marco Timpano. You're going to love him. And you're listening to Eat and Drink. We hope you got your fill of Eat and Drink with Ali Hassan and Marco Timpano. Follow them on Instagram and Twitter at Podcast Eat Drink. Email them your cocktail and food suggestions to podcasteatdrink at gmail.com. Until the next episode, bottoms up.